Welcome to a special grocery shop edition of our OmniTalk Spotlight Series. I'm your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazinga. And we're the founders of OmniTalk, a content platform dedicated to researching the people, the companies, and the technologies that are shaping the future of retail. We want to give a special thanks to our sponsors today for a grocery shop, first of which is Cleveron. Cleveron is a full-service package handover partner, offering in and outdoor locker solutions to retailers and grocers worldwide. Thanks to more than 13 years of experience and partnerships with the biggest names in the business, Cleveron is one step ahead of the challenges retailers face, creating innovative robotic solutions that save space, time, and money. And of course, Untie Knots. Untie Knots is a European-based tech company now coming to North America. Their SaaS solution, Loyalty Challenge, uses hyper-personalization and gamification to digitally engage shoppers and grow share of wallet for retail clients and brands. Now, Anne, OmniTalk is our name and Omnichannel Retailing is our game. And today we are spotlighting a company leveraging technology to help retailers and brands deliver the right message at the right time and in a brand safe way to amplify the in-store customer experience. Joining us today is Cooler Screens co-founder and CEO, Arsene Avakian. Arsene, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, guys. Yeah, it's great to have you, man. Uh, First, I think you've got a really interesting background. So I think we have to start there because I think the big question Anne and I had in researching for this for this podcast was, how does someone go from being the founder of Argo T to now leading a company that aims to digitize in-store displays and marketing on cooler screens? Please explain that to us, if you will. Well, you know, uh, my I, I wanted to keep my background as simple. I went from IT to T and now back to IT, right? So what a lot <laughs> okay. of people don't know is... I, I'm a tech, I grew up in tech as a kid, uh, first okay. my, my first startup business, then worked for a bunch of big tech companies and all that. So then I had the divergence to go into the consumer business. So 18 years ago, I started Argo and 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 it, uh, frankly, if it wasn't for T, there would never be cooler screens uh, and with really? no exaggeration, spending thousands of hours in the aisles of the stores, like whether it's mm. the Targets or Walgreens, Walmarts, Kroger's, 7-Elevens, right? Just... Uh, obviously for the reason scratched my head and saying, how do I sell them more tea? Right. Uh, <laughs> but, but by being there in the aisles, uh, uh, that's where a lot of these kind of aha moments as every founder story comes, uh, usually goes right. The, those aha moments happen. And to me, it was two, uh, two, uh, two, two moments, right. One was mm-hmm. seeing that I call it a consumer gap, mm-hmm. uh, the consumer experience gap, uh, and which became the foundational idea for cooler screens that, that the core idea that the consumers deserve a far better experience uh, than what is available to them in a brick and mortar retail. And that concept of CX then guided everything we have done by bringing the best of technology and e-commerce like technology uh, inside physical brick and mortar store. And then the second aha moment was as a brand owner. Uh, I could never outspend the big boys, right? The Cokes and Pepsis and Lipton's and, mm-hmm. And seeing that that uh, very uh, kind of like what I guess everybody calls it the first moment of truth, right? I mean, if you can yeah. connect with the consumers at the point of shell, it was the obvious thing. And we put ton of money into it. We we would raise the sales anywhere from forty to 70 percent at times. Every time we were able to get on that shelf with some sort of a messaging and impacting right. the consumer behavior. So. Those two things kind of together overlaid with my tech background was what if we could change the shelf instead of a uh, traditional shelf, let's turn it into a digital shelf. 
And what and what was your tech background there? Like inside of that, was it? Did you have UX experience? Did you have e-commerce experience? Did well, you everything from my here, education, or? computer science, undergrad, okay. to then uh, uh, my first startup business was. Uh, uh, this is in late '90s, early 2000s. I thought if I just go buy the one-time license of all the big enterprise software companies like SAPs and Siebel's, I choose. And then I put a bunch of hackers to break the code. And I thought I started selling this online uh, as a subscription. This is, uh, oh. remember, this is late 90s, early yeah, 2000s, right, right, before yeah. those big software companies showed up and said, time out, you can't do that. Right? That's actually <laughs> out. So little did I know that 20 years later, we're going to call it a cloud, right? Not trying to say I'm, I was a futurist, right? But maybe a little bit ahead of myself. Yeah. I ended up going to work quite I2 Technologies. You may remember a big supply chain mm -hmm. management software uh, company later got acquired by JDA. JDA. So, yeah. so a ton of background there, learning about the retail technologies, wow. the merchandising, category management. So all that was the kind of the background. And then getting minted as an entrepreneur uh, in a consumer space, building a retail tea brand uh, that, that the two kind of... Uh, the intersection of the two backgrounds, I guess, is why cooler screens. I'm glad I asked that question. That's great. Well, yeah. I want to know, Arsen, like how how did you start that first prototype? I mean, you said you were spending time in the aisles. Like, I think most people I know who don't have the background that you have would be like, I got to just figure out like a better design for my like little shelf label, right. that says, you know, <laughs> two for six dollars or something. Like, what? How did this evolve into what we know of cooler screens as today? The thing is, that's a great question, right? Because I've been asked by uh, whether it's investors or the Silicon Valley folks, right? How come technologists don't see uh, the solution, right? Well, they don't know there is a problem. And then when you're in the consumer space, we know that there is a problem, but because we don't have the technology background, maybe we don't know how, if there is another way to think about it, right? So I think it probably truly, I give credit to my kind of this uh, uh, dual uh, background uh, uh, that, that allowed me to, to think of this, I call it the, the, the surface of inside the stores, right? There's an opportunity to convert and transform them into a digital canvas everything could become a pixel. Sure. But the CX gap that I referred to at the beginning, guys, it was uh, pretty obvious. So you have consumers walking around the brick and mortar stores, right? And they got the first thing in their hands is the phone and they're looking up basic information, how much sugar is in this product, how many calories with my tea product. Like I would see customers would come, they can't see through this condensation laden door and right. then they open the door, they grab the bottle. First thing you see, they're squinting, trying to figure out this little fine print of how much sugar or, or calories are in the product, right? Everything that today in an online world, we take it for granted. Information is easy, transparent, and simple, accessible. But when we walk into a brick and mortar store, none of that is available. Mm -hmm. so, so I thought if we could bring in the digital surfaces with, with the power of the AI that actually contextualizes the, the right content at the right time to, uh, to the right person, we can create a unique, I call it a hybrid, people call it digital, right? Physical, yeah. digital, whatever new buzzwords, right? But, right. and I know augmented reality means a whole different thing, but it's a digitally augmented shopping experience inside the physical store. It's the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. And the whole thesis was that the brick and mortar is not dying. It's, it's, it's far from being dead. It's just going to reinvent itself. And, and, and here we are. That's why cooler screens. Right, exactly. And that's what we've seen through the pandemic too. Well, paint the picture for us, if you will, because you know we've got you on a podcast here, essentially. It's an audio recording for the most part. Um, paint the picture for the audience, if you will, of, of what this actually looks like in practice as best you can. 
Yeah, so there is two elements to this, right? One of them is the digital merchandising, the planograms. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, 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 if your audience are the retailers and category people from the brands, they'll all know what that means. But the consumers, when they walk into a, a store, they'll now, uh, if they, uh, again, let's speak about the cooler freezer section, yeah. which is where we started, although we're already piloting into a bunch of other areas, oh. in the beauty, in the healthcare. Uh, so, but that's kind of like down the road, right? Okay. Cool. The cooler freezer, a ton of traffic, people come through the aisles into the perimeter of the store, every gas station, C store, you walk in, you got the big wall of these uh, coolers and freezers in front of you. So from a distance, the consumers will see uh, relevant promotions and messages that would be just like, imagine a big red of Coca-Cola inviting you to come in, or it could be the big red of Target. When the consumers see that, that draws them towards that section. So we'll measure the funnel of a conversion in a very similar way how e-commerce guys would do. This is where the science of e-commerce yeah. comes in. We'll see how much we're able to draw traffic towards the section. What messaging attracts them? What interaction is attracting them? Now, when the consumers approach, and we call this in technical terms, the inner ring and versus the outer ring. Sure. Okay. They're within, they call it a six, to, a six to 10 feet distance from the screens or mm -hmm. from the doors. All of a sudden, magically, all these doors transform into a beautiful digital version of a planogram. Mm -hmm. so, in, so now you have this brilliant 4K digital displays that are showing you the actual products that are behind the door. Mm -hmm. And as you get closer, you might have even more interactive experiences where you get closer and maybe that Argo bottle may come up and say, hey, I'm locally brewed if, it's a, if, if you're standing in Chicago oh. or it's organic, right? Now, right. these are the kind of pieces of information that it's fair trade, it's organic or, uh, or whatever it is that to you as a consumer, it's very native contextually relevant information that helps you make a better purchasing decision. Or it could be simply like in a frozen section. It's not just you're staring at the package of a frozen broccoli, but now there is actually a recipe that with a QR code that you can download. To, mm. to, so which gives you an idea of what to make for the dinner that evening, right? Mm -hmm. But it also can have a promotional message. It's 3 p.m. Uh, it's 90 degrees outside and, uh, and you're standing for more than three seconds in front of the ice cream door. And the Hagen dozen Ben and Jerry's could show up and competing for your kind of purchase and say, hey, I got this new green tea strawberry flavor. Do you want to buy me, right? Very contextually relevant, retail media done in store with the best of online shopping experience from a merchandising perspective. Yeah. And I think the key point you mentioned there too, that's something we talk about all the time is you're actually getting the data captured from what's happening inside that now omni-channel experience in a lot of way, where you're bringing digital into that world in a new way to capture what's happening to the consumers and understand the conversion and the, and the impact on the basket they're having as they're viewing this type of marketing right. collateral, so to speak. Well, all right. Well, so you guys have been in the news a lot with uh, Walgreens. I think that's where I first came upon you guys in terms of the work you're doing there. Why don't you take us through that? And I know you got a big expansion going on with them as well. You know, take us into the real world application of this now. What has been that, what has that project been like for you in terms of what you've learned, how you've brought it to market and, and where's it going next? Walgreens was our foundational partner. Uh, they they were the early believers in us three years ago. Look, it was as simple as like, hey, this sounds like a big grand idea, but I have no idea it's going to work. I'll give you yeah. six stores. Why don't you go just pilot it? Is that what it was? Six stores? You just it, ran this is three years ago. Yeah. 
we we so I I had to get on a plane and run around all over Asia from Japan, Korea, China, and just beg all of these big high tech manufacturers saying I'm basically want to build this big giant iPad with a lot of compute modules and specialty <laughs> sensors, and 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 finally Foxconn. Uh, believed in us and they said we'll build the prototype i mean i, I mean it was to say it was kind of like duct tape but it worked it didn't matter right i wanted right. to just pilot and see if consumers actually want that digital experience in a store right because the last thing we want in our life as humans and shoppers is another Times square screen or another tv ad right we don't want to inundate but the art of digital merchandising was the that cx which i said is guiding everything yeah. we do is where we focused and it worked. The, we call it a CX score, NPS, like a score measuring. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 93% of the consumers, uh, the third parties intercepted and surveyed. Tens of thousands of people they surveyed. They said over 90% of people said, hey, I prefer this new digital in a physical experience better than the good old traditional door or the, mm-hmm. the, the shelf. So when the consumers said, I love it, when they were delighted, then it was a question, well, can we now convert that funnel? Can they actually spend more money? Right. And, 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 and when I started the business with my partners, I said, guys, this, with the traditional established retailers, if we get a quarter point, half a point sales lifts, we're going to high five, we're going to celebrate. <laughs> so I'm not here, like, I honestly don't want to come across like I'm bragging or I'm right. selling, right? But we saw in average now, we have some of the, we have four or five of the Fortune 20 retailers in our network. We have dozens of other retailers now. Walgreens is the big one, of course, mm-hmm. growing there, mm-hmm. kind of a step ahead of Very, everyone yeah. because Further they started earlier. Implementation, yeah. yeah. As retailers typically do. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so, but, but we're seeing the, the sales lifts nearly at the three to 10 percent incremental sales lifts measured by APT MasterCard. Right? Wow. I mean, I mean, you guys come from retail. Yeah. Su- surreal numbers. Yeah. Those surreal are surreal numbers. Yeah. And then when these kind of sales lifts came from, like I said, from uh, on a low end from 3% to over 10% incremental sales lifts, we got over 150 brands saying, I want to be part of this because just like with Google, who had a vision that they can uh, digitize the zero moment of truth, right? Their mm-hmm. research when people, before they go shopping, mm-hmm. we're taking that first moment of truth, the shelf, and we're digitizing that decision and a few seconds before you make the selection. Mm-hmm. So, so we've built the marketplace. Uh, we've gotten uh, uh, in just the last few months to a scale uh, very, very quickly. We have over 77 million monthly consumer traffic now. Wow. Yep. I mean, that just put that into context. Uh, yeah. I think, I think Amazon has about 200 million monthly Jesus. traffic. Okay. So, but remember guys, like, I mean, I'm blessed with the partners, like whether it's the Walmarts or Kroger's or the, or the Walgreens is right. So I'm mm-hmm. digitizing their existing traffic. These great retail partners of ours, they were building their big giant traffic in their stores for decades. Mm-hmm. Well, all we did is we digitized and we created a new shopping experience for consumer and an access for the brands to now connecting that new retail media platform with those consumers. Well, and we're we're at grocery shop, Arson. We have a lot of grocery retailers, convenience store retailers, drugstore retailers who are listening to this podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about what the that like on-ramping looks like? I mean, what does it mean from the time that you have that first discussion with them um, 
how how do things transpire from that point on? Early days, right? We we would just say, uh, listen, we need to do a pilot for both reasons, right? Because we're putting a lot of capital in those stores, and and so our retail partners uh, invest co-invest with us. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to understand, like, oh, well, so there is a little bit of a due diligence happening on both sides. We'll roll out like uh, with Walgreens. The ro- the playbook was let's do six stores. The numbers came so strong that the Walgreens said, hey, before I make any big decisions, I want you to show and prove this to me at scale. Let's take a region of about 50 some stores sure. and a very diverse group of the stores, right? From the rural, suburban, urban, all kinds of demographics. So then the numbers came, frankly, even stronger. So and that's when there was a readiness that let's go into first phase of our rollout is 2,500 stores. We're in all 30 national markets. And a similar playbook goes with a lot of other big kind of full, call it Fortune 20 retailers. Now, when you go into the smaller uh, uh, retailers, right, some of them are uh, they're comfortable to go full chain after we do the pilot because right. kind of Walgreens paved the way. Yeah. Right. They've a lot of uh, technology, product market fit, check boxes uh, already went through. And from the implementation perspective, uh, it's a very simple process. Uh, it takes, believe it or not, less than like five minutes per screen per door. Really? So we can be in and out of a store, uh, having the store converted digital in about an hour. Wow. Yeah, that was what that was actually going to be my next question. I was curious, like how long it took, because like when I think of Walgreens versus like somebody like Walmart that you mentioned, mm-hmm. where there's just a ton more screens in their footprint. Right. You know, how long does it? T- what What does that typical process look like? Are they going step by step? Are they doing the whole you know frozen section? You know, how is it that quickly where you can do it overnight? Because I know that's always a big question for retailers that we should probably ta- ask you yeah. about too. Is like, can you do this overnight? Do you have to? Do you have to shut the store down, or is this like something you can easily implement and get no, done this very is, quickly? This is all done overnight, right? Like uh, we, uh, I think last week alone, we have uh, digitized. Uh, I want to say seventy-eight stores, maybe. Okay. Just in one week, right? Wow. So yeah. So the the. So we can do this at scale now. And, but remember, the, the, the power and reach of uh, uh, cooler screens extends far beyond my own, our own team and technology. We partner with some big global uh, leaders, right, uh, in, in the tech space, right. like Microsoft, Verizon. They're both equity partners in us. Uh, but also, what uh, specifically for the cooler freezer section, um, we partner with a company called Dover. A lot of folks would know Dover. They all Essentially, there is about... 17 million cooler freezer doors in the United States and Dover would be building nearly 14 million of them. So we have a unique exclusive relationship with them. And this is a fortune 500 company, right? So we have the power of big boys like that, plus Foxconn's of the world in Asia who make the big uh, iPads to have uh, engineering uh, specs and, and, and designs. So it's it's not just that he's a young startup company that can do this at scale. You got kind of the big deal, of big, big ecosystem behind it. Yeah. Yeah. As a for as the as the former head of frozen food for Target, I am thinking to myself, yep, I know Dover well. And why didn't I have this 10 years ago when I was running that business? It would have been a delight. So well, well that- I mean, the sales sales lifts are, are I mean, it, they're it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, and I had a good margin. I mean, that's a good margin business in grocery too. You know, that's another piece of this that I hope people are thinking about. Who who's bringing you in at this stage, and what are all the teams within a retailer that you're bringing together to partner? So it's a CEO and a CMO conversation. It all depends on where the retail media actually resides in terms of executive sponsorship. Right. So some organizations it it resides with merchants. 
In some others, it resides with the marketing. And then more already advanced, sophisticated organizations like Walmart uh, or Kroger, they have the Walmart Media, Walmart Connect, or oh, Kro okay. Kroger 8451, it precision does. marketing. So yeah, so I would say, or Target, Roundel, right? So in that kind of the, call it the elite of the biggest, most sophisticated retailers, uh, this resides in whatever the executive sponsorship is for retail media. And, that, and that's where the usually this partnership deal is done, which is, hey, you can focus on building retail media online for your e-commerce business. And no question, e-commerce is going to keep growing. But mm -hmm. no matter how much it grows, I mean, uh, if for the next 10 years, it, uh, the e-commerce is still going to be less than maybe, or it's going to be 10% of the total pie, right? So yeah. we do the 90%, which is your in-store piece. And that's really challenging to do it right. And this is where, the, the like I said, the AI bringing the best practices of e-commerce and then unique proprietary technology around the hardware, IoT, right? All these pieces of puzzle. We did it pretty quickly over three years because we got the power of these big partners behind us. So when we get in front of a CEO uh, uh, and, or a CMO and we have this conversation about retail media, it's critical that they see that this isn't a high risk startup. This is actually backed by some tremendous power that this can be done at scale because you do this at small scale, you're not going to get Cokes and PNGs of the world right. pay attention mm -hmm. to you. You have to do yeah. this at big scale. So it's not just me talking big. It's, it's really, I mean, to be relevant in this space, you got to do this big and be able to sustain it big. Yeah, that's a great point. I think people forget that a lot of times too, which is something we espouse a lot. To test this, you have to test this at the right scale, right? You've got to put, you got to go both feet in and make sure that this can work and you put your best foot forward, so to speak. Yeah. But how, do, how you mentioned the media, the media networks being a key piece for you and the partnership. Like, what are you seeing from them in terms of how they're thinking about this idea what types of assets or creativity are they bringing the to the table to make it as, as good as it can be from the get-go? Because, I mean, in a lot of ways, you're you're reshaping or recreate, or I'd say manufacturing a new advertising platform, a new advertising vehicle for most of them. Yeah. So how do you, how are you thinking about that? How does that landscape play out now? Because this is new ground, like you said. It, it is new ground, which makes it both exciting and also challenging because, right. uh, I mean, it, you're kind of telling the marketers the unthinkable to date, right? You're saying, listen, you don't have to just blast a lot of uh, your, your messaging, your branding to just a lot of eyeballs on TV because you can't. This is retail media differences that you can reach the huge scale, but at the same time, you can drive performance. You're getting paid for, for, for your messaging at the same time, which they're not used to, right? Because for decades, they were conditioned from the Googles and Facebooks. They came up with all kinds of the likes and follows, right? All kinds right. of metrics, but nobody talks about sales lift. Right. And all of a sudden, retail partners like uh, like Walgreens with us or Walmart or Kroger, any of uh, the guys we work with, they now come to the brands and say, Coke, not only I'm giving you a few hundred million eyeballs, these are real people in the perfect brand safe environment inside my shop, ready to make a decision. Do they want, I don't know, a che Diet Cherry or a Coke or, or a Pepsi, right? right? I'm giving you this perfect audience that you also can drive performance at the same time. They're gonna, they're about to spend money. So, so it's a powerful message that you can build brand equity and drive performance at the same time. And it breaks the barriers uh, with the marketers who traditionally think he's my performance marketing, my shopper budget, trade marketing, mm -hmm. and, and then versus my 
here are my dollars that I will never really know what happened, but I have to do the TV. I really don't know what I'm doing on right. Facebook, but boy, they have a lot of followers there, <laughs> right? Yeah. We kind of break that down and cookie uh, discontinuation and the privacy concerns, right? That the, uh, I think the big media uh, are not being competitive here, but I am, right? I mean, I think they shot themselves in the foot. They, they, it's like a drug. They got hooked on that personal data on, on individual based targeting, all of the stuff that gets really creepy. Mm-hmm. And the consumer said, hey, time out, it's not good. Now regulators stepped in, they said, stop, you can't do it. So they're all big media, in my view, big media, big tech is scrambling, trying to figure out what is the answer for the marketers. And I think retail media with the first party data where you can do the attribution right. of the, of your, you can for the first time, we all know advertising works, but for the first time, we can actually tell them which half of the advertising really works. You can show the pink message or the blue message and I'll see what people bought. Right. Which we Amazon. never could do before. Right. You know, I mean, think about it in store. You never knew that. You never no. knew how many people are walking down that aisle and who can Amazon, you know, th- those guys are brilliant, right? I mean, they obviously started the retail media movement online. Yeah. But this was just the e-commerce thing. And the first urge for all the brick and mortar retailers was, well, I got my little website, 5% of my total pie. I'm going to go build my own retail media network. There was not a week that I wouldn't wake up to the announcement of another retailer announcing their retail media network. But they all realized that the e-commerce is the small piece of the uh, slice of the pie. Right. It's the in-score. Great point, yeah. So, so, 90% so And that's what Cooler Screens uh, kind of the thesis was that we can enable your 90% and do what Amazon doing online. We can actually do it in your physical digital stores. That's very smart. All right. So well, to close this up, because you mentioned it, you mentioned it probably 10 or 15 minutes ago, and I want to hear more about it. I know Anne does too. Now, so that may, so you talked about cooler screens, freezer doors. You mentioned, you teased a little bit about you looking into other categories throughout the store. So as you look to the end of this year and into 2022, what else can we expect to see from you guys? Well, uh, you know, so I started in the cooler freezer aisle for a lot of obvious reasons, right? One, right. on my background, I was a beverage guy. I understood food and beverage section, ton of traffic on the perimeter and the cooler doors and it, kind of like this existing surfaces. So a lot of it makes sense. But then as you usually have the best story, right? When you're smart, your customers are the smartest ones. They actually teach you Walgreens, the biggest pharmacy in the world. So what is their first reaction? They see what is working and they came to us and they said, hey, Guys, like this is, we love what you've done in that section, but frankly, this is not, this is even our secondary business. Our primary business is our pharmacy. Can, and we think the patients would love to understand, let's say, what's the difference between Advil versus Aleve? Hmm. They'd like to know why should they get the branded or the generic? They'd like to get that patient education through the communication, digital communication platform inside the, the other stores in our pharmacies. So, so they leaned in and they said, we want you to come into the pharmacy section. And then on top of that, you probably saw a lot of these retailers, uh, pharmacies like Walgreens, they announced their deals like with Village MD. They're also believing in a vision that the point of care, like outpatient doctor offices are now going to be open inside retail stores. Mm-hmm. Walmart is doing that with Walmart Health and Oak Health Partnership. And, and basically all the big retailers are doing this. So as the patient experience now is coming to point of care and point of dispense in one, in that box of a pharmacy or a retail store, all of a sudden this becomes like such an aha moment from a, hey, you got to connect with these 
patients now, not consumers. We call them right. patients now. Right. So you can educate them. You can give them the information so they make a better decision about their health choices. And so patient outcomes, medication adherence, right? So we, and so on. So now we have a very different set of metrics that Walgreens is teaching us. Yeah. So that becomes, so this is now the kind of the next thing that we're learning. We're doing a lot of interesting pilots with Walgreens guys and we're learning. And then uh, uh, it's still confidential, but with some other even bigger retailers, yeah. uh, they are driving us and they're saying, hey, imagine the beauty. Right. I mean, the consumers, again, I don't know exactly how to buy a lipstick. Don't take me wrong. But, but I know that my wife, she'll spend a lot of time in a store trying to figure out what she wants. Yeah. And, and all that time, I ask her, what is it that you want? And she's like, well, I need a lot of information. I want to try it out. And, and so the digital UX becomes such a kind of an obvious thing. Yeah. When right. you are in a store. Especially, uh, yeah, when you think about the YouTube beauty influencers to be able to play a clip of applying that lipstick or yeah. a liner and then pointing down directly to that product right there to buy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really smart. You know, the other one, like uh, the merchant at Walmart, she's one of the smartest merchants I ever worked with, Andrea Albright. Uh, just oh, shout okay. out to her. Yeah. Uh, she took me to the gaming section, the electronics, yeah. and she's yeah. showing like, here we got shoppers oh, who come sure. in and they want to buy this 50 to $100, $200 games, like the PlayStation, yeah. Xbox, et cetera. And these guys are standing there, basically pushing a button, waiting for an associate to show up to give them the game. Yeah. But these are, but, I mean, these are digitally native shoppers who right. want to actually kind of play demo before they make that expensive decision. Right. So uh, I'm excited because kind of like, uh, I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface no. of bringing digital. Uh, yeah. I think it was, you know, years ago, it was, let's just go and throw a bunch of TVs and screens, right. signage. Yeah. Right. And it didn't work because no. we just don't want more at us. Mm -hmm. But if you bring actually, t uh, the, 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 like I said, the, the art of merchandising and the science of e-commerce together mm -hmm. in a store, it works. Well, that, that, the point too for me, I'm glad you brought that up too, about the, just the proliferation of screens in, in the store. Because I think what's interesting about the cooler screen example in its iteration, its early form is that's a permanent fixture, so to speak, you know, in terms of what people can expect. So it's something that can live more evergreen. So I'm, cur I'm curious how much, I don't know how much you can tell us in some of these other categories or how much you can tease to give us kind of a conceptualization of what does this look like that carries with that same ethos of being kind of an evergreen placement in the store that enables it to work with consumers that are shopping with it in that manner. Yeah, are you no. taking that same approach or am I thinking about that the wrong way? Arson? No, no, no. Here. Physical permanency is a huge pillar for us okay. in our own strategy, right? Okay. Because you are inevitable in their life all of a sudden. You're there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it becomes so, too hard for the stores to operationalize it too, you, I would think. So so, uh, so you're there. So the consumer kind of has to deal with it now, right? Yeah. But we don't want this to be, they have to deal with it. Now we want them to say, I want to deal with it because I, it. I find what I want far easier. When I'm making a decision in that pharmacy aisle, do I pick up Advil or Aleve? I actually, mm -hmm. in when just quick seconds, I see the information brilliantly displayed, easily displayed to me. So I pick the right medication for me. And so on, like examples of these use cases that the consumer value is like so simple, right? This, we don't need a lot of data sites to bring a lot of simple value to consumers. And I think that's what was missed in the past, right? They, right. they, they would come in and they would say, I'm just going to put here and have Coke or somebody blasted you the red message because they can't. 
Well, yeah. no, consumer at some point says, you know what, guys, like I'm done, it's too much and I'm going to prefer going shopping somewhere else. So, um, so that's to us the, the, the secret sauce for us, I call it, there's two, two parts of it. One was this, we call it a CX app, which is the mm-hmm. digital merchandising platform. Mm-hmm. And that's that e-commerce conversion funnel. It's really understanding what's the shopper journey, the path to purchase, all this stuff, right? So yeah. we brought a lot of that into the CX app. And that software is running and, and, and constantly uh, creates this unique experience. Uh, we have this really cool Easter eggs planted. We have, the sc- screens also have voice act enabled uh, capability. So, uh, so consumers can come and they can say, hey, uh, let's say Walmart. Hey, Sam, can you show me all gluten-free items or show me the vegan items? So tell me how much, is, uh, how much sugar is in this product. But also fun things. Uh, there will be campaigns like kids will drag their parents to the stores, and they'll they can say "Leviosa" to the screen, and all right. of a sudden, uh, all the screens are 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 like levitating, right? right. You know, like fun Harry, Potter, Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. yeah, right. Harry Potter stuff. But it's it's an entertainment value, which means yeah. the shopping retail becomes a destination for experiences. Right. So we call it heart and minds concept. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that's the first secret sauce. And then the second secret sauce is this contextual targeting or uh, a capability, which is you want to have contextually relevant messages delivered to the consumers at the right time at the right place. Mm-hmm. And this is a sophisticated data graph technology that collects the consumer behavioral signal, like how long is the consumer in front of the screen? Are they moving or, or, or not? Are they opening right. the door? By the way, all the stuff that e-commerce have been doing forever, right? right? They yep. know how many seconds you're on this website, a web page. Did you click here? Did you yeah. scroll? Did you tap? Well, <laughs> did you put something back? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. We, did, yeah. We, we use IoT technology, which monitors in this privacy by design way, all of these same behavioral signals and then we look, it could be, it's like I said, it's 5 p.m. and, and somebody's standing in the frozen uh, uh, food section, probably they're looking for their dinner tonight. Yeah. And maybe there is a big game tonight happening, right? So you can now contextualize the messaging. So that whole big data, again, big buzzwords, right? The big data and AI is constantly analyzing all the signals. It's raining outside, it's 80 degrees outside. You're more than three seconds here. And, and finds pockets of predictable behavior or outcomes that if I show you this content, I have a statistically relevant model that the, the computer calculated that mm-hmm. you'll probably open the door and you'll buy something more so I can lift the sales by 12%. And I have a 78% statistical significance to that prediction. Right. And that's the second secret sauce. So we have this AI for CX consumer experience. And then we have this contextual targeting engine. Uh, those two is what creates this magic. Yeah. And the permanence of the, of the placement, I think helps aid in that, this, in that analysis of that data too, right? Because it's more consistent over time. Yeah. In addition to probably the store employees like it better too, because they're not having to take things down and up and maintenance, all right. kinds of different things like we've seen throughout the years too. You know, the, stuff the, can get out the of whack. plan of compliance, uh, out of stock management, we give the retailers right. amazing data, right? We have right. now sensors and the, and the cameras on the inside of a door. Mm-hmm. Every time the door opens, we can actually tell them at, at any point in time what's on shelf. I mean, right. data that was before, on a, ever, people didn't know what they have on shelf, mm-hmm. right? Right. 
the other one that I've heard of my favorite is uh, when oh, right. Did, Cause it could be in the cart or something mm-hmm. like that too. Right. Like mm-hmm. that they don't know when they need to get, yeah, that's a great oh, point. I mean, Especially in a high you know, traffic store. Yeah. yeah I never yeah. thought about that. And imagine the DSDs distributors, right? Yeah. They will mm-hmm. mess up the shelves and yep. move things around. Um, uh, so the out of stock is a huge problem, but the, one of my favorite ones, which is much more trivial than this is like, they call them frozen fingertips, the employees, when you hang out a lot in those stores, oh, right, you get yeah. to talk to, I've done it you, myself. <laughs> I've worked the so, store. I worked target stores for a long time. I know exactly the, how the, the, mylar, that is. the mylars, right? The paper <laughs> yeah. tags, the employees yeah. all of a sudden come to us and they're hugging us guys during the install saying, well, right. thank you. Yeah. The store managers would say, especially now with COVID, they're all labor shortages at real deal. They would say, I can't find even employees willing to sign up for the shift when they need to do a reset. Right. Because they need to wear like this five layers of the gloves so they can change for after 20 minutes. You you literally, your, your, your fingertips are frozen. Yeah. It's awful. All that is gone. So this electronic shelf tags, and which then leads to real time pricing capabilities, search pricing, all kinds of fun stuff that retailers can do. Well, Arson, there is so much for our listeners to be following with cooler screens in your work. I know you're going to be speaking at grocery shop. So um, shout out to our listeners to check the agenda, to be uh, catching Arson's talk at grocery shop. Um, if they aren't at grocery shop or they just want to stay in touch with cooler screens and the work you're doing, where's the best place for them to stay up to date, Arsene? Thank you. Well, first and foremost, there is a bunch of stores they can go visit, including in Vegas on the Strip, some of the Walgreens stores. They have oh, really? the technology. Yeah, oh, I'm like, check I, that I, out. I, I know right. for sure, like the one by Venetian. Yeah, uh, okay. so, we go there uh, all the time. Yeah, yeah okay. so, so that's one, right? Two, uh, you can always uh, connect with us on our website, coolerscreens.com. My email is simple as Arsene arson at coolerscreens.com nothing secret and then finally my linkedin profile arsena vacuum so thank you for your time guys awesome well that was a great interview i love that interview thank you so much arson you made Um, it fun thank you yeah great that's what we try to do try to make it fun and insightful every time so we appreciate that feedback too it's awesome well it's been great to sit down with you again everyone listening that's cooler screens co-founder and ceo arsena and as always to everyone listening be careful out there